0: I'd say the ball hit him right in the face. The manager working the counter at the time just pulled out a gun and held him there until the police arrived.
1: You know, it makes you wonder, like, all these little scenarios and thoughts leading up to that point, right? So, like, I wonder how his morning was, you know?
0: Right, right. Like, did he wake up on the wrong side of the
1: bed,
0: or could he not find his
1: phone right away? You know, the normal things. Maybe... Yeah, normally maybe he didn't do his laundry, so he had to wear his dirty clothes again. I mean, did he eat a wholesome breakfast? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You got to get those carbs, man. Maybe he was plugged up. Maybe he wasn't getting enough fiber. And that could have been it. But, you know, your tale about Derek Mosley up there, that reminds me of Albert Bailey. And he was one of a pair, the other being an unnamed juvenile. But in 2010, the two concocted a brilliant plan to rob a bank in Fairfield, Connecticut. And to speed up the process, they just decided to call it in ahead of time, you know, let the bank know that they were coming in to rob the joint and then just have the money ready for them in bags, so they can just come in, grab it and walk out, be on the way. Busy boys, these two. Brilliant. That is truly
0: brilliant. Why don't more people do this and really just, you know, skirt around all the hoopla and the dangerous parts, the guns and whatnot, you know?
1: Yeah, I know. But, you know, the bank employees had their minds in a flurry and decided what to do with all the time they were given. the kindly robbers but they would soon phone the police to let them know you know to let them in on what the robber's plan was and the police would arrive and wait and quickly arrest the pair without incident upon their arrival
0: (laughs) without incident oh that's so they didn't even try to fight it they're like oh
1: (laughs) shoot here you
0: guys are (laughs) you got us i suppose you know that reminds me of that other pair of masterminds now that you mention it uh Joey Miller, Matthew McNally, who tried to break into a guy's home in Carroll, Iowa. I think that was back in like 2009 or something like that. But the guy scared the two off. So they fled in a car. The car was observed by the guy whose house they tried to break into. And that guy called the cops, you know, described the car and everything. So, of course, they were quickly able to respond. And they located the car, which was only a couple blocks away, bro. So they approached the vehicle, and then they noticed that the two men's faces seemed to be painted black, but on closer
1: inspection... Oh, oh, this is that permanent marker one. Yeah,
0: buddy. So the cops noticed that it wasn't painted all. It was actually a black permanent
1: marker. Freaking derps. They could have put anything over their heads dude. anything, but they go through the time of taking permanent markers and coloring their faces. And I had to look a picture of this up. I mean, look at their work. Look at how well they did. The guy on the left has what looks like a shitty attempt at a Batman mask. And the guy on the right is a shitty attempt at a full face mask. And if you look closely up there at his right eyelid, he actually covered around his upper eyelid. He's going all the way. Yeah, like one of them looks like he's got sort of mascara going,
0: like this sort of cat eye effect, you know? <laughs> and the other one looks like he's got a terrible, like, wannabe superhero mask that just melted, you know, after too much, like, crime fighting or something. But not good. it's not good. You can clearly tell who these people are.
1: <laughs> I can't even give them an A for effort just at how terrible the
0: effort really was. No. No, they just get to go to the top of our, you know, dumb criminal list. Jeez,
1: well, Scott, give the people what they want. Give them what they came here for. Sure, but first,
0: dear ladies and gents, please click that subscribe button if you have a sec, and then like and share us everywhere, and I do mean everywhere. Subscribing to the Paranautica Podcast will help us out so much, and you'll be notified when our next episode comes out, which is weekly, by the way. That's right, weekly. And if you're new here, we cover topics that are weird, dark, strange, often violent, sometimes humorous. But now, it's time for. Triple, triple, triple,
1: triple, triple. Excellent, thank you.
0: Excellent, that is excellent, man. In my travels, I have found three quasi-interesting stories from the internet, in the annals of the internet. Weekly Weird News, this first one... Is it one, annals
1: or annals?
0: Uh, well, that's up to you, man. That depends on... I'm going with annals. Well, must be a first date situation. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. So this first one I found was uh, about a Spanish climber. Uh, this week, she left a cave after 500 days in isolation. She was trying to break a previous record, which is over 400 days. She spent the last 500 days uh, in a cave alone, completely cut off from the world, from her friends, from her family, from people, from, from the news, from her phone. We can all use a long, line right, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know, she did great. And when uh, the reporters asked her what she thought of the experience, she said it was unbeatable. She loved it. And uh, she had to be caught up on a lot, man. Like a lot went on in those 500 days.
1: I bet a lot did go on.
0: When did she start? So she started in April of 2021. And she said that she stopped counting time after what she figured was probably about 60 days. So 60 days in, she just quick counting, just started thinking, you know, sundown, sun up type situation. And she did a lot of just existing and knitting and thinking and being. And uh, yeah, she had no idea what was going on out here.
1: Now, you said she did great. What does that mean?
0: Well, it seemed like to her, the experience was an opportunity to decompress and just forget about the stresses in life. But if you ask me, I think if, you know, she knew that this was going to come to an end at some point. Right. If you threw a person down there in the cave and even if you gave them food, but they had no idea when they were going to get out again right. or when they were going to, I mean, that would be, we're talking something totally different now.
1: Yeah. So if you go into that knowing like, Hey, I'm just doing this for 500 days. Yeah. It could be the greatest time of your life because you're getting away from everything. You like you said, you get to decompress, but you know, you're coming out. Exactly. Now if she knew that she wasn't coming out, I guarantee you she would not be singing that same tune.
0: No, they would have gone down there and she would have been some crazy like cave beast in the dark, just <laughs> yeah. like, leave me alone, you know, like she would have been smegling it up down there. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, so the her team, like she had a whole technical team that was in charge of putting food at specified pickup locations so that she could Grabbed supplies, but no one had any contact with her or spoke any words to her. She didn't even know that uh, Russia had started a war in Ukraine. Like That's oh, wow. how cut off she was when she came out. So she had a lot to catch up
1: on. Well, I mean, I would not do that. That's not up my alley.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely just, uh, I'll just read about it. Yeah, I'm content with that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. In other news, um, a man in Pennsylvania was apprehended by police recently for stealing. What do you think it is? What do you think it is?
1: Uh, Coop. Pennsylvania. Yeah. He's stealing Pennsylvania. something.
0: Stole something.
1: Holy crap, bro. What's in Pennsylvania? I mean, <laughs> I've been to Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's not really a, so he went to the that guy's museum and stole oversized balloons. Who is that guy? What the hell? Was- Andy Warhol.
0: That's a great guess. Uh, that's a great guess, but no, it's definitely far less interesting than that. Um, This guy was walking by a dude's house and he saw that he had a pot of meatballs on the old cooker and he ran into the guy's garage and he stole the meatballs and he left. So the guy came out and was like, hey man, where's my meatballs? So he called the police and the police, you know, started investigating the surrounding area and they came across this thief standing in front of his house and he had red meatball sauce coop. Red meatball sauce on his face, on his clothes. Caught
1: red and he's like Ugh, uh, uh,
0: and they arrested. Him. And it was a guy. He just that was him.
1: So he had he had the sauce all over his face. He had all over his hands, his shirt. I mean, why would you go up there and steal your neighbor's meatballs? That's that's not cool, dude. Like I, at first, you know, I thought maybe he went to a restaurant and maybe he took like a buffet pot of meatballs or something. Like that's cool. Like, go ahead and do that all you want, right? But you go to some dude's property where he's just making his meatballs, super stoked that evening, you know, he's gonna have this awesome meatball, like, feast with his family, and he goes out there to check on them, and they're gone? This motherfucker comes up and just takes this dude's meatballs? I don't know, man.
0: 48-year-old Lehman Glenn Robert Potter has been charged with burglary, criminal trespass, theft by unlawful taking allegedly swiping this pot of meatballs. The officers found the pot on the street and then they found Lehman in front of his house covered in red sauce. <laughs> so, That's yeah, so you know, I wish I could say that the meatballs were returned to the rightful owner, but they were consumed.
1: That's interesting. I mean, was this guy, drunk? He's probably high as fuck. He's just like, oh, meatballs. Yes. it's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> Dream come true uh, that day. yeah free totally. pot of meatballs free pot of meatballs maybe there were those uh those fake meatballs that they're just starting to make yes the mammoth meatballs mammoth
0: meatballs yeah i realized that's 2 weeks
1: of uh, <laughs> 2 weeks of meatballs yeah
0: do <laughs> it you know maybe we'll go for a 3 for next week maybe um but my last uh, to take a little more bit more of a serious uh tone my last of the 3 for 3 Concerns our favorite Idaho killer, Brian Koberger, 28. Oh, God. Um, what has ch- he got himself into yep, now? Charged with the deaths of four University of Idaho students. So recently they unsealed some more court documents, right? And these documents allege that police seized ID cards that were inside of a glove, inside of a box, in coburger's parents home what? now that in and of itself wouldn't be very significant but one of the ids that was found is rumored to be connected to someone in the house where the slangs occurred
1: oh my
0: god yeah so he's keeping trophies keeping trophies might have picked it up that night whatever it is but either way you're not getting out of that i mean there's just wow
1: well hold on hold on allegedly
0: right so right alleged alleged <laughs> alleged
1: wow so this just came out that he they found cops found one id or two ids or how many did it say it said ids i mean it's it's very
0: vague Multiple IDs. yeah they don't have um they don't have a lot of information around it at right. least in the, in the but it is plural
1: yes but it is it is. Just... and these ids are related to people that lived in that house supposedly
0: Yep. Supposedly, Supposedly they are connected with people that were living in the house and man, if that's the case, like what more, Yikes. what more evidence does the jury need? You know what I'm saying? No, that's,
1: that's the, uh, smoking gun right there. You know, the... exactly,
0: exactly. That is the smoking gun. Yes, sir. So yeah, so we'll see. Uh, it's not looking good, not looking very good for old Brian Kaburgs.
1: Well, in the, court pictures he's got quite a smile on his face
0: yeah you know maybe this whole thing is just he's just trying to make a big splash in the criminal world and become one of these renowned true crime fellas
1: right you know if he came out of this on top he would have so many book deals oh man oh movies to be made about him yeah
0: well but uh yeah Coop. well thanks for listening thanks for tuning in for three for three uh these stories come from the wa- the wacky and odd world of AP News. And, uh, yeah, well,
1: back to you, buddy. Ah, well, thank you, Scott, sitting right over there on the other side of this nasty-ass fold-up table. Thanks, Wayne. Well, first, I just want to answer a question that I posited in our first episode about Sean Gillis.
0: Ah, yes, yes. One of at least five Baton Rouge serial killers that were active in the 1990s and the early 2000s. Episode one, the gold standard we are always trying to achieve
1: with each new episode. Yes, indeed. The little nugget that started it all off, Sean Gillis. And that very terrible microphone that Wayne Dale bought you, thinking it was studio worthy.
0: Yeah, I know. We tried to make it work, but Wayne Dale is a fucking cheapskate, dude. He's always got gold chains on. Literal chains, you know, like the ones we had to use to pull that golf cart we crashed out of that lady's pond.
1: You remember that? Jesus, how could I not, dude? I was stuck under that pond on the golf cart like when Kevin Bacon got his shoelaces caught in that gear shift or the pedal or whatever and foot loose. But I was under the water. Meanwhile, you're already back up at the cottage grabbing more space cakes and gummies. So I'm just <laughs> down there dancing, you know, to foot loose, trying to get unloose, shaking my foot all around. And finally, I floated blissfully to the surface.
2: Oh,
0: man, if I only knew what you were going through, but, you know, for one, I was hungry for more space cake, so can you really blame me, and two... I was coming right back, dude, and three, the lady thought it was hilarious, so, you know.
1: I almost died.
0: But wasn't it fun?
1: (laughs) It was. It was. It was was kind of fun, yeah.
0: Right. Well, my point was that those big-ass chains, that's what Wayne Dale has on every day, and huge bracelets and rings, but... For some reason, he couldn't buy me a decent microphone. The most important part of the show is a decent microphone, and he buys me a $5 clearance microphone from Walmart. A good one just wasn't within the budget.
1: Anyway, I asked about how many websites there were in the 1990s when you know Sean Gillis was looking at videos and photos of dead and mutilated women. And so this information comes straight from InternetLiveStats.com. The first website was created in 1991 by CERN, That's the European Organization for Nuclear Research. And this is where we would get the acronym WWW. But by early 1992, there were 10 websites. And then comes 1993. And the first year, we have a documented number of users. And there were 130 websites with 14,161,570 users.
0: Man, I wonder what those first 10 websites were. Because I was just like not hip enough or in the know enough to be using the world wide web back at that point. I think it was like six or something. Well, I put
1: a screenshot up of the first, uh, the first ever website created by CERN in 92. If you can see it there. And another was Acme laboratories and they were pretty much a tech oriented Unix projects and repository with links or early discussion blogs by 1994. The number of websites jumped to 2,738 with roughly 25 and a half million users. And this is presumably the kickoff of internet porn when you consider that massive jump in users.
0: Yeah, I guess that would have been the beginning of MILFs and GILFs, huh? And probably anal, actually. I'm not sure if they did that in the 90s, though.
1: Uh, Well, it's the top three categories in everybody's search engine. (laughs) (laughs) But by 1995, there were 23,500 websites with about 45 million users. And it just proliferates from there. But from 96 to 97, there were about 900,000 websites created. And the following year, about 1.4 million were created. And between 99 and 2000, about 14 million websites were created. And interestingly, between 2009 and 2010, about 32 million websites were taken down. But the following year, about 140 million were built. And the year after that, another 350 million. And between 2016 and 2017, there were roughly 720 million websites created. But in regards to which websites he was specifically visiting to view the content that he enjoyed, which would be dead and mutilated women, the only website I could find was possibly rotten.com, which was started in 96. And they touted themselves as being the original gore site. And I must say, it truly carved a scar in my brain. (laughs) I fully believe that.
0: I mean, that was like the days of the Wild West of internet so there was literally no overseeing anything anything could have been posted on there you just had to know which website to look for it was like some kind of secret code you know um but yeah i uh, i'm good i don't really need to see all that so
1: yeah so who knows what he was looking at or what websites he was going to but i'm sure he was checking out rotten.com you know but if there are any listeners out there who were gore viewers back in the 90s and remember any of those old gore sites possibly Before Ron.com came along, email us and let us know. uh, Paranautica at gmail.com. So, Scott, let me ask you a question. What is your favorite fast food restaurant? You
0: know, honestly, I'm going to have to go with it changes from time to time. But right now I'm in a bit of a Taco Bell phase, if I'm being completely honest. What is your opinion of the Golden Arches? Oh, the Golden Arches, Golden Arches. Oh, yes, yes, the old Mac D's.
1: Yeah, Mac D's, McDonald's. Mac D's. You know,
0: uh, it's got a place in my heart. I actually lost a tooth at a McDonald's. Um, that's how long I've been going to McDonald's.
1: All right, well, what was your favorite quote-unquote food item to get there as a child? Um, I remember getting a cheeseburger with nothing on it except for ketchup. Me too, bro. Nice. Uh do you remember or uh, who was your favorite character as a child? Not as an adult for God's sake. You mean a McDonald's character? Yes, yes, yes. Okay,
0: well there was uh
1: Hamburglar,
0: he was pretty cool. There was Captain Crook, it's kind of lame in my opinion. Um there was Grimace. Uh who who were the other ones?
1: Uh Birdie, oh, there's Birdie yeah, yeah. the Early Bird. Uh the Professor there was Uncle o Grimacy, who was the drunken Irish uncle of Grimace. And that's true. Not even a joke. <laughs> and then there were the McNugget buddies. Really dumb idea. And then there's the trash can. There's Bernice and Vulture and I Am Hungry. And that other one called Happy. Just a forced smile behind crying eyes.
0: Yeah, yeah, and there was the the Fry Kids, right, oh, and the yeah. hamburger the hamburger patch, which was also stupid. stupid, and the Happy Meal gang. Oh yeah, there was Cosmic, but it was spelled Cause, and then MC right. Mike, yep. the microphone, and Mac tonight, and Speedy, and Aster.
1: Oh yeah, and, and Officer Big Mac, who was voiced by Ted Cassidy. Ted Cassidy was known for his deep voice and being very tall at six foot nine. He also played Lurch on The Adams Family in the 1960s and played the android Rook in the Star Trek episode. What are little girls made of?
0: Huh. Questionable. There was also Mayor McCheese, who was based off of H.R. Puff and stuff, who then sued McDonald's and thankfully won. Uh, yeah, H.R. Puff and stuff actually had to quit production after a single season because it just cost too much, which we can thank the heavens
1: for. True that. And so out of all those dumb little characters
0: yeah which one was my favorite as a kid and not as an adult that's gonna be really hard because i can only think of my favorite adult character uh yeah i get it you know i'm gonna have to go with grimace man like he was such a weirdo just a purple tree looking thing nugget tree combo yeah yeah, and uh he was just always happy and kind of dopey and yeah
1: I'm cool. going to go with Grimace. Good choice. Oh, shit, man. We forgot Ronald McDonald. Ronald the McDonald. Oh, yes. The ringleader. Yes. I hope that didn't negatively influence your crucial decision-making.
0: The one that is the glue that keeps it all together. And no, that did not actually influence my decision in anyway. I was never actually a fan of Ronald. He's kind of creepy. Yeah.
1: He's been creepy uh, since day one. Never breaking character. And in the years leading up to 2011, critics of the Ronald including a group of 550 doctors and other medical and healthcare professionals, went on a crusade to effectively retire Ronald McDonald, leaving him without a pension, no 401k, and no retirement of any kind. Damn, that's cold. Yep. And these critics were saying that Ronald McDonald was essentially an arm or a tentacle of the elitist corporation we know as the Golden Arches, and he was being used to specifically target children, which was simply unethical. So yeah, that's pretty apparent, but it's also true of every other major corporation who can only profit through the sales of their product, whether specifically for children or for adults or for pets.
0: Yeah, I'm not really sure why they're making such a big deal because everything, like Toys are Us, like how are they going to make their money? You know, they're they're not just going to be like, oh yeah, we have toys. They're going to just go directly for the people that are going to influence the people with the money to buy the toys. Exactly.
1: And in reality, though, the company decided to send Ronald on an indefinite vacation in 2016 after there were all those people just as clowns acting scary and being all around retards. Just saying. That whole clown scare thing was was just pathetic. Absolutely, dude. Grow up. But out of respect for all the misdirected fear of clowns, McDonald's removed Ronald, and this is still in effect as far as I know today.
0: Right, and as far as that being in effect, I couldn't really care less. Fuck Ronald McDonald and fuck the Golden Arches.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for leaving the dark side and coming back over here, Scott.
0: Well, you know, I can't match your 17-plus years of McDonald's free diet, but you have to start somewhere, right? Well, why don't we use this spot to dip our sources for today's episode in, huh? You know where Ooh. we got our nuggets of information?
1: Eh? Nice, buddy. Sure, we can wrap them up right here.
0: Huh? <laughs> the sources for today's episodes are Murderpedia.com, Wikipedia.com, CriminalMinds.com, Fandom.com, SerialKillerCalendar.com, and CantonRep.com.
1: Okay, to start this horrible story, we should hop in our telephone booth, time machine, and press the numbers 1942 because that is where we need to go in order to follow the tracks of the man who will eventually bring us full circle to a nondescript brick-built McDonald's restaurant which is located at 460 West San Isidro Boulevard in San Isidro, California, 42 years later in 1984. I say was because that building has since been demolished and is now the site of the Southwestern College Higher Education Center at San Isidro a much better place of business in any town, anywhere. Than a McDonald's? Agreed. Our antagonist today was a man named James Oliver Huberty. He was born on October eleventh nineteen 1942, in Canton, Ohio, and was the second child of two who were born to Daddy Earl Vincent Huberty and Mommy Isil Evelone Huberty. Earl was some kind of quality inspector.
2: Uh, excuse me, yes. Let's see that shoe you have on your left foot. Yeah. No, that's your left foot, you cold fish. The other one. Raise it up. Yes, perfect. Let Papa see. Oh, yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, looky here. That's quality sole you have on that shoe, sailor. Good day, sir.
1: But I'm a lady.
2: Now, don't you be busting my chops and go flipping your wig, Wills, yes? You're taking all this gobbledygook whistling Dixie about rhubarb making me out to be some sort of knucklehead, is yes? But... Well, I... Now look here, mister. You ain't passing the buck. And if you don't stop being a schnook, I'll gives you a couple of the finest, most top-quality knuckle sandwiches available. Immediately making you either look like a dead hoofer or a ducky shin cracker. Either way, you'll be a bit of a drip, and all these people heres will crack up and gossip all month long about how the quality inspector guy showed up here and did some quality inspecting. You know what I mean, mister?
1: But I'm a lady. That is one inspector that I would like to meet. Absolutely, bro. He sounds like he knows his craft. ISIL was a typical homemaker of the times, and just try to put yourself there. It's the 1940s, post-World War II, shit's all weird. There's a lot more internal aggression within the family unit, not not necessarily in the Huberty family, but in wartime families in general, and especially in those families where the father was actually over in Europe fighting in the war, you know, in the shit, seeing action, not these bums who go into boot camp and call themselves a veteran.
0: True, true, yeah. It's like, it's one thing to be an average family with average problems, but then you introduce an element such as a weathered veteran, literally a person who killed other people, or at the very least saw people being killed, most likely people that they cared about, and who was around legitimate violence and destruction. Then you introduce that into the picture with another adult who has absolutely no idea what that person went through, all the neurological damages that the brain suffered as a result of everything, you know, and a lot of the time it's just that misunderstanding between the two people that causes resentment and issues and a snowball effect. And meanwhile, the kids are just left to just watch this happen. They don't know what's
1: going on. Right. And then there's the important part of therapy and being able to express yourself and express your emotions and feelings that even you don't understand how to articulate. But what is probably the most important thing is being able to do it comfortably.
0: Yes, absolutely, dude. Absolutely.
1: But anyway, Isil was a homemaker and stayed home to care for literally everything. What people don't realize is that back then, a homemaker, the woman, would literally take care of everything at the home. Everything. And if there was a garden or a plot of land with crops, you bet your ass the homemaker was out there tending to that as well. And on top of everything else, you know, the laundry, the dishes, the wood for the stove fire, that shit needed to be chopped and stacked and brought inside the house. And the house had to be cleaned. Everything needed to be done, which is why so many families had so many children, free child labor.
0: It's true. It's true. You go to any ag area and you come into contact with many farm families with generations of six, seven children, because what they needed was Help out on the farm. It's just what you did. And all those people learned how to be self-sufficient, agricultural, nurturing-type fools. You know what I mean? Oh, I do.
1: And so at age three, James Huberty would contract the polio. and needed to wear the old leg braces made of heavy steel and leather, much like the ones our friend Benny sees in his favorite movie at least once a week. (sighs) Ah, fucking Forrest Gump. For God's
0: sake, man, just turn it off once in a while. Benny boy! Shout out to our boy Benny.
1: But the only difference was that James Huberty wasn't retarded, and he didn't fight in Vietnam, nor was he shot in the ass. And he definitely never met the President of the United States, and he wasn't much of a runner either. As a result of the polio and having to wear the leg braces, James would end up suffering from a bit of a limp for the rest of his life. Picture the Toxic Avenger when Melbourne falls out of the window into the toxic sludge below And then think about him trying to walk away after getting out, just dragging his leg along the ground.
0: Yes, but he drags one leg, right? And you think that he only has a limp on that one side, but then he goes to walk on the other side, and he does the same thing on that leg, too. (laughs) Useless.
2: (sighs) Useless.
1: Oh, man, so he's walking like a George A. Romero zombie in the Night of the Living Dead. A personal favorite. The only way a zombie should ever move, slow and with equally slow intent. Not fast like 28 Days Later, which is also a personal favorite.
0: Yeah, or World War Z where they're just sprinting around. Right? It's like, yeah, that's not really a zombie,
1: man. Slow-moving zombies, dude. That's the only way.
0: It's the quintessential zombie.
1: Yeah. They're, like, that's a fast zombie doesn't make sense. They're, they're dead. You know what I mean?
0: Yes, they're barely alive.
1: So Earl would go on to find a really good deal on a 155-acre farm in Mount Eaton, Ohio in 1950 and made the purchase almost immediately. Interesting little bit about Mount Eaton. The population there since records have been kept starting in 1870 has been roughly between 200 and 300 people. The biggest fluctuation is between 1950 and 1960 when the population increased from 203 to 265. That's by 62 people. but. Then between 2010 and 2020, the population dropped by about the same. So right now, as we speak today, the population of Mount Eden is just about the same as it was almost 155 years ago.
0: That's so crazy, dude. Like, just for a quick second, the town got 62 more people. And you know in a town of that size, like, everybody knew who those motherfuckers were. You oh, know? yeah. Like, oh, where did you guys come from?
1: They increased the population by, like, what?
0: Yeah, yeah, seriously. Yeah, like a quarter. So they
1: increased the population by about 25%. Just
0: over a quarter of people.
1: And then. And then decreased by a same. <laughs> <laughs> decreased. So Earl's purchase of the farm really pissed off ISIL, who flatly refused to move to the farm. She not only flatly refused to move to the farm, she flatly refused to even go look at it. ISIL didn't want to live in no rural area of Ohio. And I'm sure her refusal to move out there was due to the location being so rural or if it was maybe due to the fact that the area was predominantly a Mennonite community, or perhaps both.
0: Yeah, that wouldn't be a very uh, hip and happening joint to be moving into.
1: And today, the Mennonite community is, is pretty dang large. spreads from Cleveland down through Akron to Millersburg and New Philadelphia. It's pretty much the entire northeast section of Ohio. And just for a reference, Canton's population in 1950 was around 115,000 people. So she didn't want to go live in a tiny-ass town of 203 people on a big-ass farm that they would have to take care of, and the farm was literally surrounded by the Mennonite, who she apparently feared more than she feared the wrath of God.
0: Yeah, clearly. Even though the Mennonites would have had no issue (laughs) whatsoever, you know, just would have just kept doing their own thing like they've been doing for
1: however long. They wouldn't look twice, like, whatever, we don't care. Yeah, if we don't give a shit, do your thing, girl. Do your thing, girl. (laughs) She was so pissed off at her husband's decision to buy the farm, which was a great deal by the way, that she just up and left, taking off to Tucson, Arizona, leaving little boo-boo James, and she would go to start a career doing sidewalk preaching for the Pentecostal church. Well, no, that's not a bad gig. No? You don't think so? No, not if you got nothing, man. Not if you got nothing. Because if you got nothing and you do that, well shit, brother, you got the entire kingdom in
0: your motherfucking hands now, my brother. Can you dig it?
1: I'll drink that grape aid. By the way, what verse was that? Uh, I think it's from the uh, I think it's from the Order
0: of the Phoenix. Yeah. It's either that or the Black Panthers. I can't remember.
1: So now, ISIL is out there on the hot-ass streets of Tucson, Arizona, hanging out by the valets waiting for the patrons and speaking in tongues and doing all that mystical sidewalk healing with their pre-recorded thunderstorms and a cassette tape playing through her tape player, all that avant-garde reiki she was trying to do on the unwilling and defenseless passersby. No, I don't know if that is what she was actually doing, but I do know that the Pentecostals are well known for their practices of speaking in tongues and the fundamental street corner uh, lectures and their spurious healing acts. Reverend Dwight McKissick spoke in tongues. He's a Southern Baptist in Arlington, Texas. One night, when he was a seminary student and praying on his knees, he said that something happened to him.
0: As things do when we are doing things.
1: Of this, he would say.
2: Strange sounds began to come out of my mouth. The only thing I could think of was, I'm either losing my mind, or is this what the Bible calls speaking in tongues?
1: Hi, hey, Dwight. Dwight. Hey, um, I, I think... I think there's just some strange sounds coming out of my mouth. I, I, I never heard them come out of my mouth before, Dwight. Dwight, I'm scared, Dwight. Oh, uh-oh. I think we got another one over here. Adam,
0: it's
2: me, Dwight. I'm right here. I'm right here holding your hand, Adam.
1: Dwight, I'm scared. I was, I was speaking, and, and the words weren't words, Dwight. They were s- s- sounds. I, I, I think I'm losing my mind, oh, Dwight. Oh, sh- shh. No, 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 Adam.
2: Now, Adam, what we have here is a divine message from God himself, which he himself delivered directly to you, for you to receive directly from him above. Uh, oh, uh, really?
0: Why, yes, Adam. You were speaking in tongues, a true gift from God in the heavens
2: above. He heard you call upon him in the heavens with the sounds that came from your mouth. I remember my first time.
1: Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They are out there doing the grind, you know, doing the hard work that the medical professionals just can't do, these street healers. They are healing the blind, making cancerous tumors disappear right in front of our eyes. They can even get people to walk again after 15, 20 years of not being able to walk. It's incredible. Imagine, Scott, the atrophy of muscles that happens when, you know, that certain muscle is not being used for an extended period of time, and then all of a sudden just standing and walking around, even jumping with the big leagues. Miracles! Miraculous miracles. So yeah, ISIL takes off, which completely devastates James. And we know that abandonment is a serious issue. and can often cause serious consequences for children's future behavior. There is no debate on effects of what abandonment does to children. And whether that is due to one parent abandoning the child willfully or both parents not wanting anything to do with their children, or whether that is one parent being manipulative and using the system against the other parent to systematically remove that parent from the family unit, the effects that that has on children can be completely devastating. We're talking early drug use, early alcohol use, early promiscuity, behavioral issues, an inability to cope or deal with problems in life, violent outbursts. They may have many run-ins with the law and just a lot of bad shit going on. There are many studies that have shown this to be the case, and these behavior issues are why there are plenty of these centers that are architecturally designed to be aesthetically pleasing and inviting You know, they are behavior centers for troubled teens, which started in 1967 and continues to this day. Many of these centers used and still use systematic kidnapping as part of their intake process. This is no joke, and we will cover this one day. But a real quick point on that, parents would agree for whichever center it would be to literally break into their house and put a pillowcase or something over their quote-unquote troubled teen's head, and the teen would be tied up forcefully while these counselors, these fake kidnappers, are yelling at them, and once they are subdued, they be brought out to a van and driven for hours upon hours upon hours to the center's location, wherever that may be, because some of these centers had numerous locations around the country and some all over the world, and once the teen is at the destination, all sorts of other barbarous shit would and still does occur. The Elon School was one of the worst, and only recently another large center well known for the systematic abuses of so-called troubled teens is set to be shut down permanently this year in 2023, that being the Agape Baptist Academy. But what I'm guessing is that the Agape Baptist Academy will shut down. But just down the street, another place will open up under a new name.
0: Right, right. You know, the Baptist Academy for God and his grapes, you know, great snacks at the door. Great one. Yeah. There
1: you go. Throw some religious sounding title or some academic title in there and blammo sounds legit.
0: Uh, yeah, sure, Barbara, send Jimmy there. I don't even know who Jimmy is.
1: He is your son, you neglected park bench. Jimmy, James, Samuel, David, Maximilian, Douglas, Francis, Albertus, Leonardo, Patchouli, Nintendo, Stephen, Tyler, Moore, Leonard, Smith is our only child. I can't believe this. You see him every day.
0: Never heard of him.
1: Are you kidding me? He's your son, Jimmy James. Who the hell
0: are you talking about? I don't know no Jimmy James. I don't know who the hell that is. Oh, oh, wait a wait a minute! Is you cheating on me with this Jimmy James fella? You dirty whore!
1: Get out of that house!
0: Yeah, I gotta get out of there, man. So much drama.
1: Little James would often be found by his father crying because of his mother's abandonment. He would find him in the chicken coop crying hysterically, and unfortunately. His father didn't exactly have a lot of time to spend with James since he was now the only parent and had to work very late shifts. And whether that was by design or not, you know, to be away from James, I don't know.
0: Yeah, and you know, she's take, supposed to be taking care of all this farm stuff, right? And everything. So imagine this, like, land that they now have just falling into disrepair and being overgrown. And nothing's being managed.
1: You had to be rough. 155 acres, dude. Yeah, like, there's no way. You just couldn't do it. James was a crushed soul. His mother abandoned him, his father was never around, and therefore he didn't really have a solid father figure. But what he did have was a permanent limp, and he was as lonely as lonely could be. But it wasn't only that. Divorce was very frowned upon in those days, more so than now, especially in certain religious groups. And due to his parents being divorced, James was further ostracized by his school peers, and he became withdrawn and remained that way through his adolescent years. This is not to say that have all of these things against you, whether it be familial, social, or economic, it doesn't mean that you are going to forever be damaged and irredeemable.
0: No, no, not at all. Like quite the opposite, actually. Leighton Meester, an American actress, she was actually born in a Texas prison in 1986, where her mother was serving time for drug smuggling. Just to give you an example,
1: that's pretty crazy. And shit, man. Everyone knows Shania Twain. You know she had a pretty rough growing up as well.
0: Jim Carrey, bro, he grew up Ooh, yeah. hella poor in Canada. Dropped out of high school, worked as a janitor and a security guard to help save their house, but they lost it anyway, and then he ended up living in a van with his family until he moved to L.A., and he made it on the show In Living Color.
1: That is nuts. You know, I've never really been a fan of Jim Carrey stuff. Never been a fan. He might as well have been a Power Ranger.
0: Yeah, um, I liked the Power Rangers. Uh, Jim Carrey, you know, uh, yes and no. I'm I'm hit or miss with him, honestly.
1: Yeah, I guess so.
0: Like... I like him more now, actually, ironically, because he has admitted to living a character for most of his life in Hollywood, and now he gives zero fucks, and he's just his absolute self, and he's brutally honest with people, and they're like, whoa, whoa, Jim Carrey's changed. It's like, no, now we're just seeing the real Jim Carrey now.
1: Yeah, he played an act his
0: whole life. His whole life, and he said that his depression, his like overwhelming depression that he had, was his body's reaction to him living this character that the body just was physically rejecting. It did not want to live that character
1: anymore. I can imagine, dude. I can see the pain in his eyes. But the point is that anyone can pick themselves up and have a little bit of dignity, if they want that, of course.
0: Of course. It always is up to the person to make a decision. At some point, am I going to take steps in this way to change this, or am I going to keep going with the status quo?
1: Because, you know, a lot of people just give up and think that wherever they are in life is the furthest they're going to be, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. They think, you know, life is fucking shitty. Why am I even going to try?
1: Just like when the first girl you ask out or second or third or fourth or however many you ask and they decline your ever-polite offer of some awkward companionship, it doesn't mean that you're inching your way toward aimlessly driving some desolate stretch of California highway (laughs) looking for unsuspecting hitchhikers to torture, murder, and bury in the desert, you know? That's just a bit of a stretch. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, check it out. You're mine today. I'm going to take you home. I'm keeping you
2: all right.
1: It's just like you can piss your bed on a nightly basis. You can start fires throughout your tiny town and you can abuse all these cute little animals it doesn't mean that you're going to become a serial killer. In other words, the McDonald Triad is a misleading notion and is only a theory in practice. Ah,
0: yes, the McDonald Triad. Not to be confused with the McDonald's restaurant that's the location of today's story, though, but the McDonald Triad was developed in 1963, and it quickly became the leading method in determining possible violent serial killers. And it sounds good when it fits the narrative, but it is certainly not a definitive answer to what makes a serial killer not even close. There are just so many factors.
1: Yeah. And in fact, authors Charlotte Hannah Parfit, who has a PhD in forensic psychology at the University of Kent, and Emma Ellene, also with a PhD in the forensic psychology unit at Kent, have written an article specifically about the McDonald Triad and how it has been erroneously used as a predictor in violent offending, noting the lack of any empirical evidence. That it is an accurate predictor of such offenses.
0: That, I feel like that happens all the time. You get this program; they like people sell the shit out of it. Like they have these salespeople, and so the program gets widely adopted. And then later on, they're like, "Oh, uh, actually, that program was only based on like one study with one specific subset of people, so it's not really an accurate portrayal of like humanity in general."
1: Yeah, it just gets, like
0: oh, huh.
1: It just gets taken out of context and used for something completely different than what it was intended for. Yeah, exactly. Interestingly, even John McDonald, who came up with the McDonald Triad, said that he didn't intend his work to be used as an accurate predictor, yet repeatable psychologists and psychiatrists still hold the McDonald Triad in high esteem, despite all of the contrary evidence. And while doing research for today's story, we couldn't find anything to indicate that James have checked any of these boxes. We couldn't find anything on him wetting the bed as a child, nothing on him starting fires, and no documented accounts of animal abuse at all. This is not to say that those behaviors did not occur. We are simply stating that we couldn't find anything about James exhibiting these behaviors. Although, I did find that he was an avid gun enthusiast from a young age and was known to be good at target practice. And I couldn't find any report that he ever shot at a neighbor's pet or anything like that either. Wasn't his best friend his dog when he was a kid? Like, didn't I read that somewhere? Yes, sir. It said that when he was a child, he was such a lonely kid that his best friend was, in fact, their family dog. So that is sad.
0: Well, I mean, not for the dog. Like, the dog must have had a great time having a best friend.
1: Maybe. Maybe even the dog was annoyed as hell by him.
0: Well, I mean, that
1: could be. That could be true. But no, hopefully both the dog and little James had a good time together. And hopefully both of the lives are at least that much better having each other's company. Well, one can only hope. What is really interesting about the McDonald Triad is that only a very select few serial killers actually check all three boxes. You know, wetting the beds, starting fires, and abusing animals. And three serial killers that definitively checked off all three were Jeffrey Dahmer, Dennis Rader, and Richard Chase. But outside of those, it's, it's really hit or miss. And what might be the biggest hurdle for the advocates and proponents of the McDonald Triad being an effective predictor of serial killers or possibly another category of people is that it's really difficult to get reliable information and statistics.
0: Meaning like how would a scientist or whoever get enough information to be able to categorize or to be able to take that information and use it was an effective predictor of something, right?
1: Yeah, because most of the time the scientists or whoever are relying on self-reporting. And a lot of the time, that isn't exactly accurate. And if that isn't accurate, then nothing is accurate.
0: True, but you throw in enough government grant money and they can make anything become quote-unquote accurate. You
1: know what I mean? Exactly. And when the government is backing something financially, they already have their mind made up before there isn't even an outcome.
0: Yeah, it's just like big tobacco. It's already been decided, Yes. Yes.
1: yes. So even though James wasn't dreaming of water parks and fountains on a nightly basis, and he wasn't running around late at night while the neighborhood slept starting fires, and he wasn't running around punting pigeons and skinning those monster squirrels, he still maintained a fairly typical life. Although he didn't have many friends, if any at all, that didn't make fun of him behind his back. Mm, well, that's never good. James didn't have many hobbies either. I mean... He couldn't really do much in terms of running amok, like smoking a pack of cigarettes with the boys during lunchtime or cruising bicycles around looking rad for the girls or throwing rocks at each other and doing whatever else boys are doing in the late 40s and early 1950s.
0: Well, whatever it was they were doing, they were certainly doing it while impersonating one of either of the two famous men back then and making it look good while doing it. And that would be, of course, the king or the duke.
1: Oh, yeah. Great matchup. Now, imagine those two men in the ring together. Bare knuckles, but get to keep their rings on.
0: Woof! That would be phenomenal. And for those who don't know, the king, of course, was Elvis Presley, whose daughter recently passed away, sadly, at age 55 back in January of this year, 2023. It's reported that Lisa Marie Presley died of cardiac arrest. Dude, she was the sole heir to that entire fortune. And now, it's in her mother's
1: hands. Priscilla Presley. Yeah, dude. The whole situation is rather sad. She was 54 years young, man. I would have dated her. I would have rubbed her feet, licked her back to clean her, even baby birded her. I would have been there for her, man, when no one else was. Sure, but the
0: other guy, aforementioned, was the Duke. And the Duke was none other than John Wayne. Gacy? The infamous John Wayne
1: Gacy? Yeah, that would have been sweet-ass matchup for sure.
0: No, no. Marion Robert
1: Morrison. Who the fuck? That is John Wayne, you son of a bitch. The infamous Duke. No shit. John Wayne is Marion Morrison. Marion Morrison. That's a dope name. Yeah, he should have stuck with that, actually. I think so. All right, so maybe they'd be good at doubles curling then, or just picture either the king or the duke being the sweeper guy following along the rock or stone is what I think they call that thing.
0: <laughs> I'm just imagining John Wayne in his cowboy hat <laughs> just like
1: furiously
0: sweeping with a six-shooter at his side. You know? Fuck, man,
1: the intensity of that scene.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Elvis would probably be, uh, he'd, he'd be the winner, though, on the sweeping team. He's got the hip movement. Oh, yeah, the hips, dude. It, you know, just like oh, 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 just, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Thank you very much.
0: I'm thinking a good game of Doubles Beach volleyball, even.
1: Oh, yeah. They'd had a little white strip of lotion on their nose and on their cheeks, wearing those really small sunglasses and the booty shorts, of course.
0: Yep. Giving each other those ass slaps they always do for whatever reason. And it seems like the camera guy's like ready. He like zooms in on it because he knows it's about to happen. I swear, there's always at least one camera guy at all those volleyball games who films nothing but the close-up of the ass slaps, and just the asses in general.
1: I'm sure, man. I'm sure they pull names out of a hat for that position, to be that camera guy. But I'm thinking those two would do really well with synchronized diving, actually.
0: Oh, I hadn't even considered synchronized diving. Just legs of steel, bro. One's a dancer, and one's a horse rider. Like, come on, (laughs) man. Come on, man.
1: Man, they would perfectly nail the reverse one-and-a-half somersault with four-and-a-half twists.
0: God knows I wouldn't.
1: Or maybe they would do acrobatic gymnastics. I say
0: again, God knows I wouldn't.
1: In all reality, James probably played Jax alone in the dark basement of the family home, and he was probably really good at it. You know what he was probably doing? He was probably a beast at doing
0: that thing where you have a stick, and then you roll, like, a tire with it, or a... Oh. Like
1: a tire, oh, like a wheel um, well
0: with it, you know? Or yeah. Or a, Hoop a frame. something. Yes, oh it's, yes. It's hoop
1: something, what is it?
0: Yeah, yeah, hoop, hoop something, trundle, hoop
1: trundle? Trundling.
0: Yes, yes, that's what it is, hoop trundling. He was a beast at hoop trundling, I just know it, bro.
1: It could have been. But then again, in order to properly hoop trundle, one must be able to run alongside the hoop for a long period of time, <sighs> oh, right? So to reach the finish line, I mean, because it's a race, right? Shit,
0: yeah, you know, I think you're right about that.
1: So yeah, I don't think he would have been good at that.
0: I forgot about the leg braces, bro. That's, that's on me.
1: James did pick up an interest in target practice with actual firearms and was said to be pretty good at it. And a family friend or someone who knew the Huberties said that James was a...
0: He was just a queer little boy who practiced incessantly with a target pistol. And he'd do this thing where he'd get up on a pogo stick and just stand there trying to balance. He wouldn't even hop with it. He would just stand there, hunched over, looking like he's riding a motorcycle. He'd do that for hours, well into the night. Such a queer little boy.
1: People who knew him said that he was sort of an amateur gunsmith, so we know he loved guns from a young age and gained quite a bit of experience with firearms over the years, being a loner type and all.
0: Yeah, so far I'm starting to see something that's maybe not a good combo. You got a huge sign that something in the mix, like isn't going to turn out well. I mean, we know more so looking back, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. checking this guy's life and history out. Um, and then just there's so much awareness around this kind of topic. But if someone's a true loner, a lone wolf, and they have a sort of affinity with weapons, uh, firearms specifically, it just seems like the ingredients for one heck of a bad storm sort of all brewing around in there. And I'm all for private gun ownership, you know, I back that up, but it's the person in their mental state that's the issue. It isn't the gun. The gun's never going to leap off the table and commit atrocities. Just the human holding it.
1: Yeah, until the robots get a hold of them. And that shit is right around the fucking corner, bro. No joke. Oh, Robots yes. are slowly making their way in, and police forces around the country already use robots with explosives to kill the people they're after.
0: Yes, sir. And now with AI coming around the corner. who knows, bro? Jeez. I'm going to install steel doors on my
1: house. Going to have to, bro. But back in 2016, just a little like, uh, side note on the, the robots killing people. In Dallas, Texas, there was a dude, a 25-year-old named Micah Johnson, who served in Afghanistan as a reservist. And he shot 12 cops and killed five of them with a sniper rifle. And he fled and eventually crawled up into this sort of crawl space or something in a building and cornered himself back there. And the cops went in there with a robot armed with some sort of explosive material and it had a camera on it. So they were able to move it close to this guy, to Micah. And they slowly, you know, drove it toward him. And as they were telling him to give himself up and he was refusing, he was he was shooting at the robot as as they were trying to get him to stop and give himself up. You know, the thing is made of hefty metal. So the bullets were doing nothing. But you can see pictures, the pictures it took of Micah as it was getting close to him. You can see these on the Internet. It's fucking scary, like just the whole scenario. And then you see the pictures of right before it explodes. Because they exploded it right next to this guy and killed him.
0: Yeah, the people of San Fran shot down a bill introduced by the city. The city wanted to use robots to kill alleged criminals. It went to a public vote, and it was voted out. Nobody wants killer robots in their streets, dude. Get that shit out of there.
1: Yeah, I think that was just either earlier 2023 or... Yeah, I think it was earlier this year, 2023. But because of everything James had going against him, he was incessantly bullied while going to the Wayne Dale High School in Apple Creek, Ohio. And despite the bullying, he kept his head above the boiling water and rode along with the tumbling waves.
0: Wait, are we just going to pass over the fact that it's called Wayne Dale High School without acknowledging it? What the
1: fuck, man? Yeah, it is kind of weird, right? Wayne Dale? I think this is where you got your name, buddy. Wayne Dale High School, Apple Creek, Ohio? Is that boy i mean it has to be is that it he's shaking it's, his head no
0: he's shaking his head he's saying he's saying it did not he's indicating right now that it's just a coincidence but i'm not sure i it believe is. you
1: wayne yeah we don't believe you buddy the jig is up but james would get himself through high school and found himself graduating 51st out of 77 students in the class of 1960 Two years later, James Huberty signed up for classes at the Malone College, where he began to study sociology, and very quickly afterward decided to study at the Pittsburgh Institute of Mortuary Science. Two notable alumni of the Pittsburgh Institute are one, John J. Hafer, and two, James Oliver Huberty. John Hafer would later become a Maryland senator, while James Huberty would go on to become the subject of today's story.
0: <laughs> two very likable men who've done great things for the community at large. A mass killer. And a politician. Not sure which one's worse.
1: Yeah, man. I don't know. They all have blood on their hands. Stained with blood. I'd say Hillary's are consistently wet. You leave the room for ten seconds, and when you come back, it's like she's
0: just dipped her hands in buckets of blood. It's crazy how much blood that lady has on her hands.
1: No joke. And what about William?
0: Oh, Slick Willie's got a different kind of substance on his hands. More specifically on a couple of his fingers, if you know what I'm
2: saying. Probably, sir. Okay. Right. What's up? You don't get it. I love women. What's the difference? You know, he had racked
0: up a ton of frequent flyer miles on the Lolita Express going back and forth from Epstein's Island and his own, which is actually only down a few clicks to the left and then a couple more.
1: True, true. Yeah, and uh, it's why Slick Willie is really upset because now he can't use those frequent flyer miles that he racked up for decades, but you know. I guess he got a better trade-off?
0: Yeah, I guess he did. You're talking about uh, having Epstein suicided, right? Correct indeed. Yes, yes. Epstein's murder really helped a lot of rich and powerful people escape a slap on the wrist.
1: You got that right. So it was from the Pittsburgh Institute that he graduated with honors and received his funeral director's license, and in the following years, he would earn his embalmer's license. While he was studying at Malone College, he would eventually meet a woman named Etna Markland. and about three years later, after he gained his certifications, he and Etna married. Luckily for the lovable newlyweds, a funeral home in Canton, Ohio had an open position. James knew that he was well-qualified for that position, as he would be embalming on a regular basis, but the one thing that made him apprehensive about taking the job was that he Let me guess,
0: he would have to work around a bunch of other people.
1: Right. And not just his fellow coworkers and bosses, but members of the public.
0: Oh, man.
1: He felt like he would run into problems with others because, you know, he just wasn't a sociable type of person. There was nothing too serious or crazy about him. He just felt unwelcome. You know, what do you think that was? Why do you think that was?
0: Um, Maybe because he hadn't developed any social skills and he was also, you know, a bullied person. He's just always bullied, like, his whole life growing His dog was his only friend. He's got no mom. I mean, man, there's myriad reasons why he would be uh, not only a target, but also develop just a bitterness toward other people in general.
1: Well, do you think that James ran into any issues with people at this job? Maybe. Well, let's look. While working as an apprentice at the Don Williams Funeral Home as an undertaker, He made a little effort to hide frustrations when people would stay after the usual visiting hours. These people would include family members of deceased relatives at the deceased relative's funerals. These people would pay for these services, and then James would eagerly rush them out when they still had ample time to spend there with their dead loved ones. And James would aggressively pace around and say things under his breath, but just loud enough that someone would hear him.
2: God damned imbeciles witless fools standing around like clowns boy how i do wish they'd just get the hell out of here Ah, you numbskulls you feeble-minded bird brains move it or lose it Doris! you miserable grouch move i need to get home fast There are guns that need a good oiling. Now get out of my way, you unlearned, uncultured, vulgar philistines. You dimwits. You unlettered vagrants. Screw it. Turn off the lights. Lock the door behind you, you plebeians.
1: The dude is a wreck. He was not a people person, that is certain. Yeah, he
2: was freaking pissed, man. He's just, like,
0: up in arms. Smoke some weed, bro. Chill out.
1: One story says that he was fired after three months for misconduct, which sounds about right, but it appears to be generally understood that he stayed in that position for around two years. Whatever happened, he did leave his position that he held at the funeral home to do something that had absolutely nothing to do with all of that schooling that he did to become an embalmer and funeral director in the first place.
0: Plus all those certifications he got. Don't forget about that. More time and more money invested.
1: Right. So he decided that he would become a welder for a business in Louisville. Is it Louisville or Louisville? I believe it's Louisville. Louisville? Louisville. Louisville. Is it? Uh, yeah, I've
0: I've always heard people say uh, Louisville.
1: Right, so he decided that he would become a welder for a business in Louisville or Louisville or Louisville, however you're going to pronounce this. Apparently, he had welding skills that he had picked up somewhere along the way in life, maybe high school. Maybe you took a class while he was in college just to gain a couple credits. I mean, who hasn't, you know? Good point. Two years into this welding job, he would leave to take up a better paying position at a different business, Babcock and Wilcox. It is here where he found his footing, and he did so well that he was considered a valuable employee, which, you know, he just absolutely adored that and just ate it up.
0: Oh, bro. Yeah, he probably went around flaunting it to everyone and bragging about it.
1: And the whole time it's just like he was considered a valuable employee, not the most valuable employee, which could be something bragworthy. Right, right. Like, oh, they said,
2: I'm an employee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: But then again, you know, to be considered a valuable employee rather than not being considered for anything is still a better outcome, I guess.
0: Yeah. Even if it only says it on your acceptance letter of your job, like, welcome, valued employee, to, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: It's just a standard letter they send to everybody
0: yeah it's just the standard like welcome
1: <laughs> he always took what overtime he could get and earned himself more than one promotion and after working at this company for around five years he has started to make around thirty thousand dollars each year which is about one hundred forty five thousand dollars today making that kind of money allowed him to be able to afford buying a three-story home in the nicer area of town in massillon ohio once all moved in and things were settled down and the future was looking pretty good something would happen and this house would be entirely destroyed in a fire. So what did the Huberties do? They just bought another house further down the same street and then built a six-unit apartment building where their first house had burnt down. Well, I
0: don't know what else you would do in that situation, you know?
1: True, I guess they did exactly what any all-American husband and wife duo from Ohio would do, but they would go on to manage this apartment building themselves and were doing fairly well off with it. Then, in 1972... Their first daughter, Zelia, was born. And two years later, their second daughter, Cassandra, was born.
0: Oh, how normal.
1: Over the years, James and Etna Huberty developed a relationship with sporadic physical and verbal abuse toward each other. It went both ways, which is far more common than some people want to admit. I can imagine all the people putting their hands to their cheeks and gasping, Whoa huh? whoa what, what? Females abusing males? Impossible!
0: Happens way more often than people like to admit, for sure.
1: Did you ever see that 2020 piece or maybe with some other production company, but they did this really good piece on the discrepancies that the general public hold when it comes to uh, seeing a woman being slapped by a man versus when seeing a man slapped by a woman. Did you ever see that?
0: I Yeah, no, I didn't see that one specifically. But, you know, you see lots of social experiment clips and videos when you have like a woman making even suggestive comments to a man versus a man making suggestive comments to a woman, you know, it's a slightly different topic, but it's just taken so differently, you know, it's just sort of the way things are. It's the status quo.
1: What this company did is they set up cameras in a public park area with a fair amount of people standing around and, you know, public and they had two actors, a woman and a man pretending to be a couple. And they, the the couple go to an area kind of in the middle of where everyone is and, They have this fake argument, and the woman ends up slapping the man as she's yelling at him. And he's holding his face in pain and sort of crying, but nobody does anything about it, and, you know, just whatever. That's life, right? But then they go back the next day or somewhere else or whatever, and they do the same thing but switch the roles. So this time the man slaps the woman, and immediately when the man slaps the actress... All these hey, people man. hop up about to beat the man down. Watch your and that is when the production company got involved and, you know, calmed the situation.
0: Yeah, I believe it. I believe that sounds pretty typical of what you would probably see.
1: Yeah, it's, it's disgusting the kind of discrepancies there are between the sexes, you know. and The reactions people get when they see something like that, it's just deplorable. I agree. But both of them also showed other signs of aggression and forms of violence toward others, not necessarily becoming physical with other people, but in other ways. For example, while at a birthday party for one of Zelia's schoolmates, Etna tried to get Zelia to physically assault one of the other children, and I think it was actually the child whose birthday party it was. Apparently, Zelia did not assault the other child, but at some point later on, whether it was directly after that incident at the party or at some other time in the future, but Etna pulled out a 9mm on the mother of that child who she tried to get Zelia to attack. Oof! Crazy woman. For this, Edna was arrested and spent a weekend in jail while James' beloved Browning high-power 9mm was returned to the worried and sleepless man. Because, you know, he's like, where's my gun? Where's my gun? Right, right, right. James exhibited some troubling issues of his own. There was a neighbor's dog who had been repeatedly taking shits on the Huberty's lawn, which forced James to go out there with plastic bags and shovels to pick it up, until one day he toxic avengered it over to the neighbor's house <laughs> who owned the dog, and threatened to kill the dog if it took one more shit on his lawn. And the neighbor took this threat very seriously. Needless to say, the dog never took another shit on his lawn. You. You
2: let your dog shit in my backyard one more time, and I swear I will kill your...
0: Oh, what is this? Oh, look at him over there, those cute little puppy dog eyes. Oh, so cute. I swear,
2: one more time, and I'll kill him.
1: But what was a bit more extreme was another time when Huberty's German Shepherd was being blamed by a separate neighbor of causing damage to that neighbor's vehicle. Apparently, his German Shepherd was chewing on the bumper or something.
0: Well, what are you going to do? I mean, those are fun times. Every now and then, I go out back to my neighbor's old beat-up Grand Prix, and I chew on the front bumper for a little bit. You know, kill some time, munching away. Sharpen the old ivories. It's not as good as my old neighbor's Jeep Cherokee's back bumper. That was a damn good bumper, man. Good frickin' bumper.
1: Good God, man, control yourself. Anyway, James simply told the neighbor that he would handle the situation. But what are you going to do? I'm going to
2: handle the situation.
1: To handle the situation, James went and grabbed a handgun and then took his dog to the backyard where he proceeded to shoot it in the head without missing a beat. The neighbor heard the gunshot and had a pretty good idea on what just happened. This neighbor would actually go ask James why he shot his dog and James would reply,
2: I believe in paying my debts, both good and bad and ugly.
1: Further forms of threatening violence occurred when James would take a rifle out onto his front porch and jokingly point it at his neighbors and laugh when they saw him, sort of half-heartedly for a few moments, and then he'd just walk back inside and shut the door.
0: That's so freaky, dude. You, this guy, like, Scary. looking a little deranged. He's coming out, brandishing a rifle, and he's like, <laughs> And then he just turns around and walks inside. Oh, man. Woof. Hell No. I'm not sure which approach I'd take. I'd probably go, I'd probably bring muffins over and just be like, I baked you some muffins today, (laughs) your favorite kind. Don't kill me, please. Don't kill me, please.
1: So neighbors would later say of James that no matter what, James would hold on to every grievance, every insult, every transgression, whether or not these were real or delusional. And they would go on to say that these things that he created in his head were the source of his frustrations.
0: Oh yeah, I mean he clearly saw the world in a totally different perspective than most people. It's just all out to get him, he's pissed at everything.
1: And neighbors and coworkers would say that he was a very sullen guy. They said that he was very quick to become angry, like he was just out looking for things to be angry about all the time. Why the hell are you mowing your fucking yard right now? It's 10am
2: on a Sunday. Why the fuck?! Would you come out here to check your mailbox when I'm checking my mailbox, you idiot? Who the hell parked their car next to mine at the grocery store? Ah, God damn it, Larry! Larry, you motherfucker! You type on that keyboard one more time and I swear, Larry, I fucking swear to God, Larry! Who the fuck?! Sent me this <laughs> <laughs> Sent me this goddamned company email. Invite to the mandatory meeting this fucking Friday. Stephanie, was it you? Huh? Carla? You? No. David, it was you, wasn't it?
1: It, it, yeah, it was uh, upper management. They sent that email literally to every employee. It's a mandatory meeting.
2: Oh, well, I guess I'm the asshole then, huh? I guess that I'm the fucking piece of shit around here then, huh? Office guy? I'm the motherfucker around here, is that it? Huh? Office guy? Um, well, kind of, yeah. I mean,
1: no disrespect, but yeah, you're kind of a piece of shit, to be honest. What a jerk. Yeah, man, that
0: guy's just pissed about everything.
1: As for the abuse toward each other, Edna would later reveal in an interview that she had, on one occasion, attacked James with a broken table leg so severely in their kitchen that they had to remodel the kitchen because of not only all the damage that she caused, but because of all the blood splatters that came from James' wounds as Edna beat him relentlessly.
0: I could not imagine being the two girls in that house and just like bearing witness to all this. How crazy is that? Not
1: good. There was even a report that Edna had filed with the Canton Family Services saying that James had hit her and messed up her jaw.
0: Well, if there's any solace in all of that, it's this next part. Edna would later say of James' abuses toward her that when he did hit her, he would at least only, quote, hit her once.
1: Well, it sounds to me that she knew as well as he that they were equals in that relationship. I suppose so. So to find some reprieve from all the abuse that James would inflict on her...
0: Oh, yes, this is creative. I love this.
1: Edna would try to convince him to allow her to read his future with tarot cards, which he would actually find really interesting. And the gimmick, it worked exactly as the cards told her it would. She said that she would sit him down at the table that she set up to add the mystery of it all and make it more intriguing. Oh, yeah, you gotta set the scene. It's just not the same if you don't set the scene. Right. But, you know, she would just tell him much of nonsense that she knew would grab his attention.
0: Right, right. Important things like money. But more importantly, vastly more important than money. Same,
2: right? Exactly.
1: (gasps) James. James, they're they're
2: talking to me, James. Oh, Oh, really? Well, what are they saying, Edna? What are they telling you, Edna? Etna, my hand is a—it's about to lose control of itself. And once it does, you you, you know there's nothing I can do about it.
1: James, dear, they, they are saying that if you seize and desist from inflicting physical and mental injuries to your wife, that's, that's, that's me, James, that's me, Aetna, your wife, that each day will lead you one day closer to you, James, you, to you winning the lottery and all of your wildest dreams will come true.
2: Well, I'll be damned. Money, James. More money than you know what to do with. These scars. Yada yada yada. What? Money. Make accounts. Huh. Convertibles. And callous knuckles. Banks. Oh, these hands. Money, money. Well, farewell, girls. Convertibles. Uh, boys. Money. I'm putting you away. Yada yada. What? Jewels. Money. Banks. You've served your purpose. Now consider yourselves retired, but not forgotten.
1: In the mid to late 1970s to early 80s, for whatever reasons he had, James started to think that either Governor or Senator Jimmy Carter and the then-President Ronald Reagan, along with the U.S. government, were in some sort of secret plot against him. He was also absolutely certain that the Cold War was escalating very fast, and he became convinced that the Soviets, those pesky Reds, were going to invade the United States, causing a full economic collapse and a possible nuclear war. Now, does that sound like every action movie made in the 1980s or what?
0: First of all, why the hell does he all of a sudden think that Ronald the Ragster and his sidekick Jimmy Cartwheeler and their whole goon squad is after him?
1: (laughs) Jimmy Cartwheeler. (laughs) Nice. I would love to know that as well, bro. I couldn't find anything definitive, and he wasn't said to be a drug user, but we will see something about his mental health coming up.
0: Ah, okay. Yeah, that's right. That's right.
1: And Because of the inevitable war... He decided to stock up on non-perishables and other necessary supplies to keep his family alive while the war raged on all around them, which any caring father would do. He also stocked up on, you know, the weapons, because one must protect oneself from the commies, you know, of course. And there was a family friend named Jim Aslanes who told a reporter that James House had weapons stashed everywhere. Aslanes said that every weapon was loaded and with the safety switched off. And that there were so many weapons that you could just reach over and grab a gun.
0: Whoa, that's so crazy. Just anywhere you are at any point, you can just pick up a gun and it's loaded and ready to go. And
1: that's not good having Zelia and Cassandra running around as kids. Seriously. Because you know he didn't have locks on them. You, you know this guy is just crazy. No, you pick up a gun, pull
0: the trigger on accident, boom, it's all over.
1: There was also something else happening in the early 1980s. Oh, you don't say. November of 1982 to be exact. This is when the Babcock and Wilcox Company decided to lay off a few of their employees due to the recession that was happening. A coworker would later remember that James said something to him. James said that he had nothing to live for, no job, nothing Of that encounter, this co-worker would say, he said that if this was the end of his making his living for his family, he was going to take everyone with him. We watched him a lot. We believed him. It was just a question of when and that." ladies and gentlemen, is where we will stop and pick up next week with part two and the conclusion of James Huberty and the San Cijo McDonald's Massacre.
0: Man, the the stage is so set at this point. You have James Huberty, a sullen individual, his whole whole life, came into some money for a while, purchased all these weapons, and now he's got this job, the only sort of like consistent thing in his life because his relationship is tumultuous with his wife, right? And suddenly, he doesn't even have that, bro. It's not good. This is not looking good. Just years and years of layers of resentment.
1: Man, just imagine working somewhere where you know that there is this unhinged person, just straight up, you know that this person is liable to snap and fuck some shit up at any moment. Every day, waking up and going to work just knowing that this crazy mofo should be arriving at any moment.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm sure they talked about it. I'm sure on some level, they thought... They believed that he was capable, but maybe never thought that he would get around to actually doing it. But they probably had no idea he had this crazy weapon stash at home either, you know. No one's going over there. It's not like anyone's going to his house. Like, I'm going to go hang out with James Huberty today. (laughs) (laughs) It's the last thing on their mind. Exactly. So nobody knew. But, you know, they all did know, though. They
1: knew. Well, yeah, I mean, the statements that I just read, like, they knew something was going to happen. It was just a matter of when. You know,
0: exactly. James was talking yeah.
1: about killing people and doing all this violence. And the guy quoted, you know, we believed him. It was just a question of when.
0: Exactly. Well, I, for one, am concerned about what's going to happen next week with James Huberty.
1: Well, it's not good. It's absolutely terrifying and horrible.
0: Well, again, that's what we do here. We cover some really bad stuff. This is part one. And part two about James Huberty is just the tip of the iceberg.
1: Yeah. I mean, our first episode of Serial Killer Sean Kill us for god's sakes what a way to start off the podcast
0: oh man seriously that was so demented but also it really happened it did
1: alright ladies and gentlemen come back next week for part 2 of James Huberty and the McDonald's Massacre
0: should we do credits or wait for next week or put them in there what do you think
1: uh, we can wait alright
0: don't forget to subscribe and get instant notifications when our new episodes drop which should be by every Thursday of each week Pacific time.
1: Yeah, and shoot us an email at paranautica at gmail.com That's P-A-R-A-N-A-U-G-H-T-I-C-A at gmail.com Follow us on Twitter under at Paranautica and check us out over there on our boring Facebook page, The Paranautica Podcast. Thank you so much, everyone.
0: Thanks, everyone. And we hope to have you back next week for part two, James Huberty!